Welcome to the Bureau Briefing, a podcast by the Bureau of Digital, an organization devoted to giving digital professionals the support system they never had. Each episode, we're going to talk to a member of our community doing awesome, inspiring things. Now for your host, Carl Smith. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Bureau Briefing. It is Carl. And with me today, I have got Elizabeth Heron, the blogger at A Girl's Guide to PM, a blog which turns 10 years old today. She's also an author, and her new book, Collaboration Tools for Project Managers, is out now. So, Elizabeth, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. That was a really good introduction, but it was 10 years in January. In January! Not 10 years today. 10 and a half years now. (laughs) Yes. Wow. You know, to 10-year-olds, that matters. Yes, you're right. It does. Until you hit 13, I think. And then, you know, everything changes. Oh. <laughs> I think being, yeah, being a teenager is the next big step, isn't it? My children have a long way to go before we get to being teenagers. So I uh, don't know about that yet. <laughs> well, I want to ask you. So 2006, you start a blog mm-hmm. called, called A Girl's Guide to PM. What yes. was it that motivated you to get this going? Well, two things really. First, I was, well, to be totally honest about it, I was writing a book and I was looking into how do you uh, get your name out there when you're writing. And at the time, all the advice to authors was you need an internet presence, so start a blog. And I thought, oh, okay, that's don't know anything about that, but I'll give it a go. Um, and so I wrote, then the book came out, and then I just never stopped. And um, But the, in terms of the Girl's Guide to PM angle, I was looking at just my experience, really, of working in project management and going to conferences about project management and reading the trade press about project management and thinking, you know, they're just, they weren't, I wasn't seeing the role models for me. I wasn't seeing women's voices uh, in writing. I wasn't seeing little photos of women next to articles in magazines um, because they weren't getting the bylines. They weren't up there on the on the stage. Um, and I thought there wasn't enough about chocolate and shoes and things really about the, the female perspective of work. Um, and so I thought, I know about that. I'll write about that. So that's where the angle came from. And that's wonderful. And I know that after 10 years, you must have a fairly substantial following on the blog. How many people uh, do you see coming in and, and learning from you? Um, that would mean <laughs> having to understand my Google Analytics a bit better than I do. <laughs> um, I think page hits are about 42,000 a month. Wow. So first of all, thank you, not only for stepping up in 2006 to give a role model uh, to women who are project managers, but also for helping that many people with the information that you're providing. I had a chance to, uh, to spend some time on the site. And I'll tell you, I was, uh, I was not supposed to be a project manager, but when we started our company, it was the only <laughs> skill I had compared to coding or design that I could try. And uh, what, what an amazing an amazingly difficult uh, role that that is. And man, I wish, I wish I had had a girl's guide to PM. I wish I'd had any guide uh, I could have looked at. So thank you so much for that. Do you, do you hear from the community a lot? I do. Um, It's, it's a variety of questions though. There are people who say, can I have a template for this, this, you know, this obscure thing that I've never heard of before. And I think, gosh, <laughs> there's this whole elements of project management that I don't know anything about because I don't know what these people want me to provide. Um, 
And then I heard, I had a lovely email from someone um, from Africa, one of the African countries, which, which one I can't remember right now, which is not great, um, <laughs> saying he, he runs training courses and started to, he was asked to run a training course for women to learn project management skills and was looking for training materials. And obviously he's a very skilled project manager himself, teaching others. And he he came across my blog and said he's now sharing that as a resource with his young female students because they don't have role models over there either. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's not just about the knowledge. It's about knowing that there is a career path for people and knowing that it is a job that you can do and that other people do and that there's something there that you've, you can offer to the community so once you've learned your skills you can go out and you you know it's an actual job and I didn't know project management was an actual job when I was at university I um no one grows up saying they want to be a project manager do they (laughs) well no and and there are some companies that feel that that role is not necessary which always cracked me up because we at my company developers asked for project managers they That's knew good. what they couldn't do, and they knew what they needed. So uh, on the site, you've got a lot of information. You've got a lot of tips. Um, you have a lot of really in-depth uh, articles as well. And you also do book reviews and software reviews. So Yes. I, I was curious on the software reviews, and I, I saw where you, you have to pace it out a little bit now. That's a really difficult thing to do a good job on because you pretty much have to use that product for a little while, right? Yes, you do, which is why I don't do them very often, because it's to do a good job, you know, anyone can just look at the tool and, and copy and paste the features and tell you what the price it is. But to be able to analyze it and to use it and then to give an opinion on it, it takes time. And I want to be able to do a good job. I want to be able to say I've used it and I think this. And there are some tools that I've reviewed and actually the you know, when I've spoken to the vendor afterwards, they've said, Ah, oh, but if you'd done this, it would have worked in the way that you wanted it. And I thought, well, I gave it a shot and if it's not intuitive, that's the thing. <laughs> the, the, the more you use a tool, you know, if I'd used it for six months every day, then I would know it inside out and I wouldn't have had those concerns. But I think people can get quite turned off by trying to use a tool in the first week and if it doesn't do what they want you get frustrated and you don't spend the time i don't you know when i'm writing a review i want to be fair so i will go in and look at the help and see you know can i find a youtube video of how to do this feature um because oh, it's too easy to say it doesn't work um but it is a, it is a bit of a balance and yes you're right it's it's time consuming and i still haven't found one that i would that, I, that i've actually gone on to use every day in my job And the thing is, when you have that one-month trial or you have whatever it might be, uh, nobody tries a new tool when they're slow. Nobody tries a new tool when there's just nothing else to do. It's when you've hit a snag with Mm -hmm. what you're currently using and you're desperate for something better. So it's not like you're even in your right frame of mind when you're trying that. And, you know, we at the Bureau, we're we're good friends with the people at 10,000 feet. You know, mm-hmm. we, we have people in the community that love Liquid Planner. Uh, you know, you, you've got Basecamp. You have all of these tools. And I think you're right. None of them are exactly right. And I think a lot of it's because everybody has a slightly different approach. Even if yes. they have philosophically aligned, there are things just based on how they are and how their team is that need to be a little bit different. And I think that's how a lot of tools start because I'm often pitched by you know, startups to say, will you review my new project management tool? It happened because the tools we were using in-house weren't quite right for us. And we decided we would build something that met our needs perfectly. And we think it will meet the needs of 
you know, this segment of the industry. And so I think a lot of um, the, the fact that we have so many tools that basically do you know, 99% the same thing right. is because of that frustration where you try and use the Basecamp, the Liquid Planner, the Genius Project, the Siloxis, whatever it is that you're using. And you think, actually, if it did this, it would be perfect for the culture of my team or for the agile method that we use in our company or for the virtual team work strategy that we have or whatever it is. And you kind of, I think a lot of entrepreneurs have, have started their tools from scratch because they want, they had to build something that worked for them. Right. Well, and, and it's interesting because every time a new tool comes in and we, we used to say this and, and maybe it's not the most politically correct, but we would have a, somebody would bring a new tool and we'd be like, all right, are we making this the Messiah tool? Because <laughs> don't forget what happens at the end. Right. Yes. And so it's like, there's <laughs> nothing that's going to come in and fix all the problems. It's all about us. And if we're willing to change a little, and we, we tried at my company to roll our own as well. And um, it became a bigger issue. And what we really un- uncovered was we had differences in how the team wanted to work. Okay. Yeah. So I'm curious, the, the thing that we really hit when we started looking at our own was also just communication problems, mm. ways that we communicated. And the, the tools kind of covered, covered up some of our communication issues, I think. So I'm curious, you have uh, Autobus on time, on budget, on scope. I do. And it's... it's <laughs> That's a, my little company. <laughs> it's a group, right? So you have, you have people that you lean on, I think. Uh, yes. So, so talk about Autobus for a second, because when I was on there, it, it feels very much like you're helping people communicate. Yes, I try. Autobus is a copywriting firm in the main. So we do copywriting and communication consultancy for people who work with projects. And a lot of it is things like, how do I help people tell the story of their projects more effectively? And often that is articles for websites in the main. And then often it's case studies or white papers or press releases or just advice about how you can structure your communications more effectively so that people actually know what you're talking about. Because I think, you know, one of the big problems we see is that people use a lot of jargon because they know their project inside out and they're talking in the language of the project. And the rest of the team understands that. And to a greater extent, so does a large portion of the company. But as soon as you move outside that and start talking to the public or to your customers, then they literally have no idea what's going on. And it's just making, it's trying, doing some of that translation really and, and trying to help people see how, when you know who your audience is, you can communicate so much more effectively. Oh, absolutely. And we studied how to establish trust quite a bit. We, we studied how to establish trust online and, you know, f- being familiar, that's the first step. Mm-hmm. If somebody feels like something is right, like they, they know how it works or they know the language then they can move forward. And so we, we took a lot of time trying to get jargon out of what we did. But it's really tough. When you're there it every is. day and everybody you know is using that language, it's hard to change. So how do you help people with that? I think it's really around looking at what it is you're trying to say and then what's the right way to say it and the, the, the communication method as well as the actual words. Because when um, one of the questions I got asked recently, for example, was – 
email conference call face to face what shall i what shall i use and i said well what is it that you're trying to <laughs> what's the message yeah. <laughs> because if the if the message is the fridge in the kitchen is broken and please don't put your sandwiches in there today then <laughs> email is fine <laughs> you don't need to call a staff meeting for that right but but if it's sorry you don't have a job anymore then email mm. is a completely awful choice um so it's really getting to the heart of what is it that I'm trying to say? Who is it that I need to say it to? And then what's the best tool to use to get that message across? And how am I going to find out if they've actually understood what I'm talking about? Because yeah. again, we see a lot communication as being just a one-way thing. Whereas you know, I write my newsletter article and I put it in the staff magazine or I write my press release and I just push, push, push without having that feedback loop built in that says, well, what happens if you don't agree? What happens if you don't understand? Do I need those people to understand and take some kind of action? And how am I going to know if they've done it or if they've done the right thing? And that's quite hard because it can, it can feel like at the end of every message you're saying, do you understand? And I know from having little children that if you ask them, do you understand? They just look at you blankly or say yes. Because <laughs> they want it to be over. Exactly. <laughs> and to be honest, adults do the same, don't they? Because it's a face-saving thing. No one's going to say, oh, no, I don't understand. Right. Or it's a brave person who would, you know, a brave and honest person who would do that. Whereas if you're in a big group situation in a meeting, mm-hmm. you're more likely that you just get nods and then people go away and, and do absolutely nothing because they've got no idea what you need them to do. Exactly. We, I always found that when somebody sent me an email and said, would you read this before I send it? Mm-hmm. I would always say this should be a phone call. Yes. If you're worried about the way it's going to come across, they need to hear your voice and you need to hear their voice. So that you can make sure that the message is getting across appropriately and there's a level of humanity in it. Yes. And, and that, I think, is something that a lot of people miss because it's so easy, especially as we work remotely, to avoid each other. And, and that leads to so much discomfort. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, uh, so you're going to be at the Digital PM Summit this October 12th through 15th in San Antonio. I'm excited. Looking- I'm looking forward to it too. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> and I, I can't wait to meet you. And I'm really looking forward uh, to your talk, which is all around managing client feedback. And I know that one yes. of the things you had mentioned uh, in, in your description is that, you know, you can't just do it post-project, mm, right? Definitely. You have to be able to get that input throughout. So when you're working with a group, because I know you also work with project teams, Yes. How do you help them start to establish a rhythm of getting that client feedback? Well, we start off by thinking what feedback we want. Right. And um, we tend to use four questions because four questions doesn't seem too much to be asking regularly. Because the more you ask people, the you know the more you ask people for their feedback, the more they get bored of having to answer your questions so <laughs> you've got to balance it so that you don't always feel like you're you know, you're begging them for a response and um we tend to do you know the, the questions need to suit the culture of the team and, and what your objectives are and things like that but they tend to be how are we delivering on your expectations and um you know what are your top three issues that you're having now and then something else. So on, on a project we did recently, it was, do you feel we're meeting the timescales adequately? Because time time was kind of a fluid concept on that project. And we didn't want people to feel that they weren't getting what they needed in a speedy enough way. So we sort of established what the framework is and then just ask the questions once a month or whatever frequency works, really. And 
the power in it, I think, is really making sure that you follow through. Because if somebody says, my top three issues this month are um, speed of communication or that I can't get access to your top developers to talk to them about the issues in the code, then you need to do something about it. Because there's no point having the opportunity for fantastic client feedback or, or fantastically useful client feedback. It might not be fantastically positive. <laughs> <laughs> if you then ignore it, and then next month they'll be telling you the same thing, except they'll be even less satisfied because they told it to you last month and you've done nothing different. Right. So when you go back the second time, do you coach people on on how to ask or, or just come right out and ask, how are we doing on the issues you mentioned before? Yes. Because you'll keep a log of what they said last time and you should be starting that conversation with, you mentioned this last time and we did X, Y, Z about it and and this is how we've moved forwards in helping you resolve those or, you know, or we can't do anything about it right now, but in three months we might be able to do something or just give them a bit of background about what you've done and the fact that you acknowledge their issues were there before. Um, And ask again you know maybe those things aren't actually important anymore because some other big issues come up now when you're coaching uh, these teams how do you deal with inevitably hurt feelings right if something comes back or maybe there's just just discomfort how, how do you help them understand the benefit of keeping this communication open well, I think it helps that I tend to do less coaching and more actual being in the team. Oh, so wonderful. I can sit with them, if you know what I mean. Okay. Or do the question asking myself, because I'm a project manager by trade as well as um, the, the sort of Autobus work I do. So I, I go out and I manage projects as part of my job, but I'm not a digital project manager. And I think, yes, people are sometimes dissatisfied, because if you haven't done what they need to do, or they're giving you feedback which feels a little bit personal, it can be quite an awkward place to be. Mm-hmm. But feedback is is good because otherwise, isn't it better to know now, yeah. two months into the project, than a year down the line when they turn around and said, well, it's all right, but if you'd done this, we would have given you you know, a bonus or we would have given you 10 out of 10. And you, if you'd known that before, you could have done something about it. Right. And I think it, it's the trust thing you mentioned earlier. It's how do you become trusted you need to have that open conversations, open and honest conversations that go both ways because you can do it the other way as well by saying, you know, they tell you you're not delivering on time. You tell them you only gave us the specs last night. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a bit of to and fro. And if they understand their role more effectively as a client, you've, you're just having, you're just having, oh, I don't know, I'm not putting it into words very well, but you're having these practical, useful feedback conversations that go both ways and help you both get your expectations out on the table. And then you move on from that and try and make things better. I think one of the things that, uh, and we totally stole this from Happy Cog, and then they later uh, promoted it, but one of the things they would ask in every kickoff meeting is what is the one thing you think we're going to do that's going to screw up this project? And they would ask the client right away, like, what's your biggest fear about this project? And we took that and we also started telling the client, this is our biggest fear (laughs) of what's going to happen. And because it was on the table that first day, and we would actually do it before we took a deposit. Because we wanted wanted to make sure that we were going to have the right chemistry to be able to be honest and communicate. And it, it was so helpful 
to be able to get that out on the table right up front, just like you're saying. Now, we've only got a few minutes left, and I really want to talk about your new book, Collaboration Tools for Project Managers. So give everybody listening a little bit of an overview on what they can find in the book. The book is a roadmap, really, for working out what is going to be a useful tool for you. And it doesn't talk about different tools because, you know, the marketplace changes so much. So you won't read in it, you know, use Basecamp if you're this kind of project manager or use something else if you're that kind of project manager. But it's really how to choose and get started and collaborate with technology. Mm-hmm. So we look at what, require, what how do you work out what your requirements might be? And then how do you get it set up? How do you bring it into a team when they might not want to use it? How do you change your working practices to support that? How do you overcome all the resistance with managers saying, what's the business case for using a new piece of software and why am I investing this much money in it? When perhaps your return on investment is really hard to measure. Um, and then really all about you know, how, how do you take it forwards and, and be successful in a virtual team working with collaboration technology? It was great fun to write, actually. There were some good case studies, and I spoke to lots of vendors, and they gave me loads of stories. So it was it, it's very It seems like the kind of book that would be fun, because when you find both, I'm sure there's some more stories that you heard, as well as, you know, the successes. And it's such an evolving role. Elizabeth, thank you so much for being here with us today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. And I'm looking forward to meeting you at the Digital PM Summit this October 12th through 15th in San Antonio. For everybody listening, it's Elizabeth Heron. You can find her at A Girl's Guide to PM and also at Autobus and her new book, Collaboration Tools for Project Managers. We'll make sure these are all linked up in the show notes. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.